bringing you key insights, tips, and advice from the brightest minds in the Canadian franchising industry. This is the Franchise Canada Chats Podcast. Welcome to the Franchise Canada Chats podcast, where we take you into the world of franchising. Our interviews are with franchisors, franchisees, and industry leaders who give on-the-pulse expert advice and insight. I am your co-host, Rena, And I'm your co-host, Trisha. This is Season 2, Episode 12. And Trisha, who do we have on the show today? Well, Rena, we've got Robert Bruski. And for anyone who doesn't know who Robert Bruski is, he's the co-founder of Control-V. Control-V is the world's one of the world's uh, fastest growing and largest virtual reality arcades with units across Canada and the US. Um, visitors book their virtual reality session online, make their payment, and show up at their location of choice to start gaming. Control V brings a compelling technology to the masses. We explore topics like unexpected challenges that he faced early on and how he makes it easy for his employees to adapt to new technology and some of the things new business owners underestimate about running a business. So without further ado, here's our episode with Robert Bruski. Hi, Robert. How are you doing? Fantastic. How are you? I'm well, thank you. So let's just dive right in. How did you transition from being an investment specialist to a business owner? Okay, so that's a great question. And it's a really long story. So if anyone has two or three hours, and they want to sit with me over a, a beer or a coffee, I can go through the whole thing. But the cold notes is, I was working uh, downtown Toronto in the buy side investment management industry. So we did things that were very similar to Warren Buffett, value investing, in where we would research an entire company before making a long-term investment in them. So their financial statements, but also their operations, their management, we'd visit their facilities, et cetera. And we'd really, really get a great grasp on the difference between a good investment and a great investment. Um, and so kind of working there and sharpening my teeth, it sort of started to dawn on me that like, listen, rather than just investing in these great companies, why don't I just build my own? You know what I mean? Like I've, I've always had that sort of entrepreneurial bug and have been trying different things, etc. And the, the company was going through a restructuring, which I wasn't really a big fan of. And I'm like, you know what, this is the best opportunity to do it. So I moved on and I had created another company with one of my current business partners, Ryan Brooks, um, and it was based in the, the film industry. So we had invented and patented a piece of eyewear that allows you to see two different things on the same film screen. So you could watch, you know, uh, sports games and see different angles from, you know, a ref's angle or like a bird's eye camera, or you could watch parallel storylines, or you could do... Um, you know, multiple lingual site subtitles. Uh, but eventually, there is there's a few hiccups that happened with that company. We had a, um, a few investors that got into some trouble, and we didn't really have any more um, customers that wanted to work with us because of that. So Ryan and I were started to brainstorm. And Ryan said, Listen, I've been following virtual reality for a long time. And it's it's about to come out for commercial use, you know, like it's a technology that's two or three decades old, but it's just now that they've made it available for people. So we could do something with this. And I know all of the tech, I know how it works. I've tried this stuff. You know, I, I could I could figure out how to get customers in and, and like it. And you know, you've got the skill set to, you know, 
tweak businesses and make great business models out of them. Why don't we, why don't we just jump on the ship? So we brought on a third guy named James Ellickson, and uh, we called one of the big manufacturers of the, of the hardware, HTC, and we said, hey, you know what? You know, there's three guys here from Waterloo, Ontario. We're looking to buy commercial versions of your headset. And HTC was like, what? Are you kidding me? Nobody wants commercial versions. Okay, fine. Here, here, take what you need. We'll sign some sort of little ad hoc agreement. And so we took this giant leap and we built this thing. So we were the first, for sure the first in North America. Um, you know, anecdotally, maybe even the first in the world, because a lot of the ones over in Asia were more like VR theme parks rather than VR arcades. And we just did it, and we killed it. Um, ever we, you know, we spent so much time ironing everything out, um, and and we had it. We had this model, and we were like, okay, let's do it. Let's let's go forward. That's pretty incredible, Robert. Um, and then, so in that process, why did you choose to franchise the business? Ah, uh, that's a that's an even better question. So, we we knew that like we knew that we had found something special or created something special and it was working. Uh, but we knew that a lot of the barriers to entry to start a virtual reality arcade, they, they weren't really there. You know, anyone with a couple bucks could just buy this stuff and set it up and make their own VR arcade. But we kind of had a gut feeling that they probably wouldn't do things the same way we did in terms of structuring the business model, you know, making sure that you have a reasonable cost of goods sold, managing your labor, your real estate, and specifically focusing on the customer experience. And so if they did that poorly, then they could potentially damage the market for our growth. And if our intent was to grow using corporate locations, we would be incredibly slowed down by the initial you know, capital expenditure that's required to open up another location. So we said, we've got to get to these key markets faster than the competition. And that's where franchising sort of dawned on us. Um, you know, you're using other people's capital, you're using other people's labor, you're, you're basically selling your model to them, and they're running your brand, operating your business for you, um, and, and kind of believing in, in your vision and your dream. And that was, that was our fastest way to do it. So we said, okay, how do we start? And as luck would have it, our first franchisee showed up, or at that point it was a prospect, um, but he showed up literally two months after we opened. <laughs> and so we're like, okay, I guess, I guess we'll play ball. So we did some negotiations and had him open um, maybe about six to eight months after we opened. And, you know, the rest is history. That's pretty incredible. Uh, I know this is a podcast, but you can't see us. And we're nodding our heads the entire time in agreement. <laughs> it's a pretty... Uh, <laughs> start and beginning yeah and it sounds like you didn't have like much difficulty selling the franchise concept but um, I'm guessing there were other unexpected challenges that might have kind of popped up along the way can you can you tell us about that yeah well I mean we to be honest we haven't really sold the franchise concept at all we haven't done very much outbound marketing we've tried a few things here and there but for the most part it has been word of mouth you know, your customers turn into your franchisees. They came to us, they tried our product or service, and they were like, this is awesome. I need one of these in my place. And so if you, if you were to look at the map of where we have our locations, they kind of spread outwards from Waterloo throughout Canada, into the U.S., and now into Costa Rica, actually. Um, and it's just because people try it and they're like, I love it. 
Um, so it's all been word of mouth and it's all been organic growth. So soon we're going to kind of put some gas on this fire and try to apply some marketing methods to grow um, in that respect. Um, but yeah, there's, there's tons of hurdles always. You know, one of the, one of the most biggest and most important things about running a successful franchise is you have to have everything together for your franchisees. You've had, you have to have, um, coherent training models. You need to have all of your procedures. You've got to have the business thought out. You have to have a great team of problem solvers because that always happens. And the, the thing is, now you have other people that are dependent on you and your leadership. So there is no, okay, you know what? It's five o'clock. I'm going to go home, have a beer and watch Game of Thrones. You actually, you know, you have to just grind because they're waiting on you. Their livelihood is dependent on you, not just the franchisees, but your staff too. So all of these things that, that you may not have thought that you needed off the bat or that, um, that you thought you could create as you go, like you can't, you, you just got to do it. So um, when you ask about hurdles or, or difficulties or struggles, I would say that that's, that's probably our, our biggest one is, you know, go as fast as, as, as everyone else wants you to go, but without doing it poorly. You know, you, you've, you've got to keep growing. You can't stand still. Um, and with growth, you know, you've, it's not even procedural things. Sometimes you have to do, deal with legal and licensing issues. For example, you know, our cost of goods sold, they're the game fees that we pay to the game developers. When we opened, there really was no VR market. So we we're like, listen, we kind of have to be honest and ethical here. We could just download these games and use them. But if, you know, the way that history has presented itself, you've got to, like, people are going to have to pay for these games. There's whole anti-piracy organizations. So we called the developers and we said, listen, we want to pay you. And they're like, what? Are, are you kidding me? Somebody wants to pay me? Okay. <laughs> pay me whatever you want. So so we we, we had the opportunity to be the, the price setters, the market makers for this. Um, but now we're dealing with the, the greater VR community where a lot of our competition is just pirating these games. They're just stealing them and downloading them. And we've got to pay the developers. And so we have a great relationship with them, but that creates a cost of goods sold into our business model that our competitors don't have. So when you ask about hurdles, like we, we should probably have a separate podcast interview just on that. <laughs> yeah, we'll have it with you, Robert, and we'll call it like navigating uncharted waters in the video game world. I dig it. I dig it. Let's do it. <laughs> Sounds great. Um, well, you did talk a lot about your organic growth and, of course, like your coherent training models, et cetera, et cetera. But how have you and your company used technology to attract and retain perfective franchisees? Oh, so... This is one of my favorite questions to answer because people often think that Control V is a technology company because we're in virtual reality or we're a, a gaming company because we're an arcade, but we are not. We use those as tools. We're, we're basically a retail business. You know, we're, we're a brick and mortar shop and people come in and, and buy VR time from us. One of the great ways, in my opinion, I think it's fantastic that we've been able to attract prospective franchisees through the use of tech is we've hired our own internal development staff, so like software developers, but they don't develop games. We use third-party games. We let the experts do it. What they do is they develop our own internal operation software. So this is things like your POS and your booking systems so the franchisees can eliminate that cost from their statements. Um, 
the the system that helps you monitor and uh, check people in, helps your attendance take care of the arcade. And that all sounds as though, oh yeah, obviously you need something like that. But having the ability to do that ourselves and deploy that technology has given us uh, the advantage of reducing our cost of labor by up to 75%. So wow. to give you an idea, um, in my opinion, if you were kind of anyone else, you would need one employee for every two VR stations, and that's to provide just like a satisfactory level of customer service. They'd still be standing there and they'd still be yelling, you know, hey, are you ready to change games? How about now? What about now? What about now? And they'd be jumping in or, you know, if they're using a different piece of software on the market, they're sometimes kind of clunky. Um, and we said that that can't happen. So what we've done is one person, rather than monitoring two stations, can monitor eight. So your facility, our average facility size has about 16 stations. You've gone from a staff of eight to 10 people to two. And, wow. these, these, and we've put a lot of the control in the customer's hands. So they're entering and exiting the games. They're reading tutorials. They're watching videos. They're, they're playing around with their friends in VR. And so our staff really becomes attendance. So, and I mean, it, it's easier for them. It's not as uh, technologically heavy on them. And in fact, we, don't, we wouldn't really actually encourage anyone to hire tech specialists or gamers. You know, we, we hire people who can interact with other people and make the experience fantastic for them. Mm -hmm. Wow. So the, the kind, I guess the kind of skills you're looking for then are people that, are, that have really strong communication skills and, and stuff like that? Or Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I would say by far, our best employee has nothing to do with tech. Um, it's it's a woman. She's she's in her sixties and she's a librarian by by like her, her regular job is a librarian, and she just kills it. The staff love her. They come to see her all the time. You know, she, when whenever there's an opportunity to, to upsell, you know, she's like, this person's having fun. I can tell. And I've just checked the system and we have free space in the next hour. So I'm going to offer it to them and see if there's an opportunity for that. It's pretty exciting. I can almost imagine, imagine someone like Tiffany Haddish as one of your attendants, <laughs> oh, just, yeah. just selling it and killing it out there. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and then, um, well, Tell me a little bit more about Control V's initial and ongoing training process there. Is it really just like customers become part of the team or like how do you make it easy for someone like a librarian to adapt to these new technologies? Yeah, okay. So we put a lot of emphasis on training and we, we always remind ourselves that franchisees um, need a bit of TLC, you know, and that's because they're they're new to this, you know, especially the new franchisees. We've been doing this for, for years and, you know, to us it may be second nature and we can't be in the frame of mind of, well, duh, you should have known that, you know? So, <laughs> uh, so usually the first thing that happens is when a franchisee signs up and, you know, they get all the paperwork done, we send them a big, massive package of homework that they have to do before they come for their initial training. It's mainly um, marketing homework, doing research on their demographic, on their, their physical area. Um, we put a lot of effort on psychographic research, you know, because you can only go so far knowing what, 
age, gender, and income level lives in your neighborhood, but you've got to know what kind of people are there, right? If, 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 you're, if you're living in suburbia and there's a lot of moms, it's got to click to you that maybe they're booking birthday parties. Um, because that's what typically happens from a research. It's the mom and not the dad that's booking the birthday party. Um, and then do they have multiple kids? Because if they do, they'll probably want multiplayer games. So you do a lot of that research. Uh, you also have to read the book Traction by Gina Wickman, which we've sort of adopted as our main guide to business. It is an incredible book, and I would recommend anyone to read it and use it for their business. It's written like a manual rather than like a philosophical book. So you've got steps in there that you have to complete. So once they've completed that, they come into our location for like five, 12 to 15 hour days of just drill sergeant training. You know, there's so much work to be done. They're, they're covering marketing and operations and, you know, our core values and our mission and ordering equipment and operating the floor and running the computers and talking to customers and yada, yada, yada. Um, but then after, you know, after their whole deployment um, portion of the, the process, they come in for a second portion of training where they get caught up on a bit more of the practical stuff on how to operate the arcade. Once they're open, we're releasing regular webinars, we're doing field audits, we're doing weekly calls, we're doing town hall meetings, we're rolling out operations manuals, troubleshooting manuals, we have an online community amongst our franchisees that we fire out regular updates, they share um, concepts between each other on how to market different things and how to run promotions. Um, yeah, I mean, we we try to just infiltrate them with data, and sometimes I'm like, this this has got to be too much. These guys must spend more time listening to me than running their business. <laughs> how long is that? Um, like the initial training? Like how many weeks? Is that? It's five days. Oh, just uh, five days. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Five fifteen-hour days. Yeah. <laughs> is there like a craft services truck or something <laughs> behind there? <laughs> no, I guess we give them a lunch break. <laughs> um, but you know what, every franchisee that has come in for this training has told us it's long, um, not unbearably long, with a lot of information, but they're glad they're there because they really get a full scope on how we've worked out the entire system, um, and they, they seem to be happy with it. And Rome wasn't built in a day. Exactly. <laughs> Unless you put my team on it, they might do it in a week. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So what are the advantages of running this kind of business? The advantages as compared to what? I mean, you don't go home smelling like burgers and fries, if that's what you mean. <laughs> uh, um, I think, you know, there's, there's, there's a whole bunch of advantages. I mean, the first one is that it's fun, right? Like you get to play VR games, you get to experience something that, you know, not many people get to experience. Um, but on the flip side, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go as far as saying is it, it's easy, but it's not something that's physically laborious. You know, I, I was kind of joking um, with, the, with the burgers and fries comment, but I actually meant that, you know, you're not sitting there slaving over a hot stove, sweating, covered in grease, trying to get everything out because people are waiting for you. It's, it's designed to be very procedural. You know, our VR sessions happen at scheduled time slots. And in between each time slot, there's there's a gap for us to sanitize the stations and reset the stations for the next um, next group. So you can kind of foresee when the different uh, groups of people are coming in, 
and have those bursts and those and those lulls where you're just being an attendant. Um, and as a business owner, you know we've we've done so many things on a B two B and a B two C basis to make this um, uh, you know attractive. And and uh, I got to be careful what I say, otherwise my lawyers might crucify me. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, appealing to to various people. You know, when when you come into one of our locations as a customer, you'll see it's very different than what other locations have, and it's very different than what you might expect. Um, for on the good side, right? It's not like the standard kind of arcades that you'd have in the 70s and 80s, where you got a whole bunch of riffraff hanging around the the outside. You know, we do we do events with schools, classes come in to learn astronomy and chemistry. There's corporate sessions that come into. But for the business owner, as I said earlier, we've managed to control our, our cost of goods sold, our labor. We have different strategies for picking real estate to keep it within budget. Um, we've funneled tons of uh, marketing towards it. Um, and you know what? I, I, I would say that we have a great reputation within within the industry. So we have a lot of opportunity to test new pieces of hardware and software that our competitors wouldn't. Um, and there's a, there's a bit of a lure to, to running a virtual reality business because it's kind of new and sexy. <laughs> yeah, it definitely sounds, um, it sounds like you take a lot of time in here as well to set your franchisees up for success. And we do, and it's ongoing as well. It's not just the, the initial setup. Yeah. I'm seeing that because you ha certainly have a lot of procedurals in place, you have strategies, you have regular webinars after that uh, five days, 15 hours, you, you know, you really take the time and care. And even after all of that, is there something that most franchisees or even new business owners underestimate about running a business? Um, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think there's, there's two things that people underestimate. One is the time commitment um, and sometimes it's uh, the time commitment that's required and sometimes it's self-inflicted right sometimes you've got to be there because um, there's something going on you know a big event you need extra staff or or you you know you just want to make sure the arcades running properly or you're training somebody new but sometimes you want to be there because it's your money on the line and you want to make sure that everything is running like a well-oiled machine um, then there's the stuff that you have to do outside of the operating hours, like planning your marketing, making sure you're submitting all of your your financial statements to the accountants and answering their questions, um, dealing with various customer service issues that may arrive. So I think one thing is a time commitment. Um, but the second thing, um, and I, I don't know how, how to explain this, but it's it's the, the knowledge that you need as a business owner or as an entrepreneur, right? Um, and it, it's almost kind of like some people would see it as common sense, but other would see, people would see it as almost like a talent or something innate that you're born with. You know, being able to jump on the concept of like, oh, yeah, moms will probably be booking birthday parties, you know. It's, it's difficult to research that without running a ton of surveys because your big research organizations don't collect a lot of psychographic information. Um, but, you know, knowing things... Yeah, it's foresight, it's it's understanding business, it's understanding, um, you know, if you're out for dinner with some friends and, and the the wait staff comes over and they're like, how's your day going today? Boom, there's an opportunity to sell them uh, to come in and play VR. 
I was on a phone call yesterday with, with a gentleman. I was getting a reference for, for a marketing campaign that we were running, and he had run it. And so I asked him the typical reference questions, you know, did you find this successful? You know, were you working with a company professional? And then when he said, so what do you do? That's when the conversations changed from 15 minutes to one hour. And by the end, he was like, you know what? I think I might be interested in buying a franchise, you know? Mm-hmm. You got to do that everywhere you are. You know, you're, you're out playing with your kids or out at a pub with your friends. You just got to let people know. And that's kind of like, it's almost like in your blood to, to do that. Um, so I think a lot of people underestimate that as well. Mm-hmm. So based off that, if you had one piece of advice for anyone looking to become a business owner or like particularly a franchisee, what would it be? Um, get ready to grind. Uh, and it doesn't matter if, if, it, if you're a control V franchisee or another franchisee or you're starting your own business. It's not like you see on the internet where everyone's driving Ferraris and you've just got $100 bills laying all over your bed and you're, you know, filming YouTube videos. Let me show you how to make $1,000 an hour. It is, it is the grind, you know. Everyone wants to be a beast until it's time to do what beasts do. Um, and, you know, so it's like you've really got to push it. You've, you've always got to be alert and thinking about what's going on. There's no break, you know. Um, they say they say entrepreneurs or business owners will do what nobody wants to do so they can live the way um, everyone else can't. But that doesn't come as fast as you think. So that's that's my biggest piece of advice is, you know, put on your big boy pants and get to work. <laughs> like it. <laughs> Uh, very good advice there. And then, if uh, I, I can understand that some things might be confidential or some things might just be on the pulse at the moment, but can you share something that's next for you and your business and Control V, like a, anything you want to share publicly? Yeah, the next thing for us is global domination. Um, <laughs> and I know that's something uh, Ryan Smokin says from Smoke's Boutinery all the time. So I'm going to take him on and say, we're both going to dominate globally together. Um, but, it, you know, in all seriousness, that's kind of what we're looking at right now is from a franchise perspective, uh, growing, opening up more locations and um, really focusing on our mission, which is ensuring that as many people get um, exposed to virtual reality as possible. Um, because once people try it and they get it, because it's really difficult to explain in words. I've talked to so many journalists and I'm like, please tell me, how do I explain this to people? I mean, I can't use the word immersive anymore. That's kind of been bastardized by, you know, 3D TVs, and surround sound. Um, so, you know, getting people exposed to this VR um, is our next immediate step. But what comes after that is kind of the more important one. Um, VR isn't just applicable to gaming and entertainment. It can be used for a number of things, for education, for training, you know, um, PTSD therapy, first responder skills, you know, heavy or dangerous truck or chemical um, equipment training, defense, all sorts of things. And whenever I speak to somebody in those industries, they are so into it and they're ready to go. It's just the industry itself hasn't adopted it yet because not a lot of people get what it is. They haven't tried it, but as soon as they try it, try it, it's like a light bulb or a eureka moment that goes off. That's awesome. I think, um, is there anything else you'd like to share with us at the moment before we head on to the lightning round? <laughs> um, yeah, come franchise with Control-V. <laughs> <laughs> That's a key one. 
All right, and I think I'm going to ask you one, two, three, four, five, up to ten questions. Who knows? Okay. Your game? I'm game. Let's do it. Okay, and uh, ideally we're looking for like maybe a sentence or two or uh, a one-word answer. If you need me to repeat, I'm obviously going to say repeat. Uh, and so sure. I, I am just going to ask you, uh, a franchise, if you can fill in the blanks, a franchisee is dot, dot, dot. Passionate. Um, my, your top advice for a prospective franchisee is? Get ready to work. My franchise system began because... We had an idea. And then Canadian franchising is... Fun. And then uh, the most important thing in life is... Happiness. One of the most enjoyable things to do is... Sleep. <laughs> The hardest thing for me to do is sleep. <laughs> if I could meet anyone, who would it be? Warren Buffett. The key to success is hard work. And then in three words or one sentence, can you, you redefine the word failure? Be very afraid of it. And uh, Robert, is there anything else you'd like to share with us? Yeah, actually, that, that last question from the lightning round, be very afraid of failure. This is something I would tell any franchisee, any business owner, really anyone in the startup industry or, or the works is there's a common thread going around right now to not be afraid of failure. You know, if you try something and it doesn't work, dust yourself off and go try again. And I think people are misunderstanding that, that that you know that you're kind of it's okay or there's freedom to fail what it actually means is that you should learn from your failures but that doesn't mean it's it's okay because there's a lot that is on the line if you're a business owner you have other people's livelihood on the line you have to run payroll you have your money your time your personal relationships sometimes your pride on the line failures is not a good thing and if you're afraid of it more often than not, you're going to do more due diligence to, to prevent it and to make it um, impossible for you. And so in my opinion, and what I tell everyone is be afraid of failure and do what you can so that doesn't happen, even if it means abandoning your idea in an early stage. Be malleable. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Thank you so much and uh, have a great day. Great. You too. Thanks a lot. Bye now. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more, visit FranchiseCanada.online. And if you're interested in the franchise opportunity, go to lookforfranchise.ca.